Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us sinners. Amen. Shorten to the point. The, uh, the second, that's, an old, that's an old monastic prayer. I believe in the Eastern Fathers I used to pray that hundreds of times a day. Simple enough. Pure confession of Jesus as Son of God and what we need Him most for. Have mercy on us for the problem that we have, sin. A couple of quick reminders for you. The, uh, there's a bunch of these in the back, the, di- the directory. You guys are jumping in at a pretty convenient time to get your face in the directory. So if you haven't signed up with Beth after services in the, in the Narthex, you can like, there's like a QR code out there. There's a QR code on here. There's a code you can put in. Anyway, strongly encourage you to do that because um, I, I really, I mean, hate's a strong word. My mom said never say hate, but that's regarding people. I can, I can hate a project. I hate directories. I love people. Directories, here, here's the reason why. Because they tell you, hey, we're just going to take your picture. And then they pigeonhole you and ask you, like, they say, sell you, the, sell you all these pictures that you don't really need or want. Then you feel bad. And, uh, but I don't want my people feeling that way. That's my thing. It's like, I don't want, I, I want my people motivated to get their pictures taken so I can have a book with their faces so they can all learn each other's names. Um, we try to do it in-house. It just doesn't work. It's, it's more, you got to do it. You got to get the professional in there with the background and all the stuff and have people sign up. Because the fact is, everybody kind of goes through maybe a, a, a point in your life where you actually want a family photo well done and you can put it on your wall and that's fine. So we'll endure it. Uh, so if you please do sign up and um, if you... If, if you want to put like, the, the information, like you can put your email in there, your cell phone, people can call you. Or if you don't want to put any information out there, that's fine too. Just, if your face is in there, so we can actually, so people can flip through and learn. Um, it's super helpful for us as pastors, especially um, if you do that. Let's see. We finally set a date for the, uh, the new member Wine and Cheese, and Beth will be getting in touch with you guys about that in the coming week's email reminders. But that's on November 10th. So the, if you do wish to join Bethany, um, November 12th is a Sunday. During the late service, we'll have the new member rite of installation. And then um, the Saturday before that, so the one day prior, November 11th, will be our uh, final new member class to kind of wrap up any lingering topics. And uh, knowing me, <clears throat> I'll ma- barely make it through half of what I want to talk about. So we'll be sprinting through uh, the last day. And then uh, the day before that, Friday, so three days in a row, um, is uh, the new member Wine and Cheese, which has, which has grown in popularity for the same reason that I strongly encourage you guys and I thank you for, for getting here early and, and, and grabbing some coffee and donuts because Part of, the, part of what's, what was missing like years ago when we tried the new member class as an information download. And so I, try, I was really mindful of schedules of people. I'd get everybody in the room and I would just and I would go and they would go, but they never actually got to know each other or anybody in the congregation. So the, the, the goal of this first 30 minutes of you guys getting here and just kind of sitting around watching my kids make fools of themselves uh, is really giving us the chance to chat a little bit, and I get to chat with you a little bit, and, and getting my some of the guys from church, uh, b- basketball or, d- or different groups, I've, I've asked them to kind of pop in 
uh, introducing themselves to kind of just familiarize yourself with some faces. Because as you're probably noticing, and, and all of you are, are worshiping so frequently, um, what you're probably noticing is it's the same, it's the same people that, that are in here and they're all sitting in the same kind of place. And the more you get to know them, the more it becomes uh, a, a more comfortable place to be. And just like anywhere you go, you, when you find your people, so to speak, you, you fit in better. So there's, what's nice about Bethany is so many different, everything from demographics and interest levels and everything, we're united by the thing that matters most, right? Our confession of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And yet we're all very different. And so with the gifts and interests God has given us, you kind of find your place to click in at Bethany. And so I encourage you to look around and uh, plug in somewhere. You'll notice to your right, fun little camera there on the wall, that's new. But it's not hooked up yet. So we still have this ugly eyesore that I was telling you would be gone soon. So our sound is better, but our live stream, we got a new camera in the back, right above the exit sign. And new camera there, in case, to, uh, I guess the, the guy wanted like all these, sh the, 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 yeah, the camera guy was like, here's where we want to put the cameras. And he wanted to get like a close shot of people like when they come up to communion. I'm like, no. I don't even like the live stream, but it's convenient if there's ever national pandemic. So we'll have, it might as well have some nice stuff. <clears throat> but I guess we, we need too much internet bandwidth. So I got to run like a new, a new wire. And, and you can only have like X amount of feet. You, I didn't know this was a problem. Like you have to have a certain amount of footage. And uh, the duct tape wire that we have running around the floor here isn't sufficient, uh, apparently. So. Uh, I think those are the main things. So that the wine and oh yeah, so I mentioned the wine and cheese. That's uh, just like our fellowship at the start of the day. Now, it's we invite all the all the leadership from the church, so the all the elders and their spouses, um, all the voters board, which is the head of all the boards and their spouses. You're all invited, and your children would come. We used to get pizza from somewhere like Little Pops or something, and. Um, and just hang out in the youth room and just get to know more people. Um, and that's kind of an informal way of getting the different board heads to kind of introduce themselves to you and, and kind of introduce you to different ways you can maybe get involved here if you'd like. And, and kind of how every church is different with how it's organized and how the, um, like the hierarchy, if you will, or the, like where, what's the leadership boards and how does that all work out. So just demystifying those things and learning about them. That's, that's the goal there. So 6 to 8 p.m. on November 10th, Friday, November 10th. Um, one practical thing before we get to my handout. Um, if you, again, you've been worshiping with us. Just to point out a few things to you. We've, the bulletin that we use might be very frustrating for you because if you're a diehard hymnal guy like myself, I, I like the hymnal. Just use the hymnal for crying out loud, have the hymnal. Um, then God gave us children. And um, I tried to hold a baby and a hymnal simultaneously and tried to flip around. You can't do it. And, and worship is, if you're familiar with Lutheran, and I know it, and I, most of the liturgies, I mean, I, I just, at seminary, you're worshiping multiple times a day, and all, like, you know the liturgies, and yet, there's certain times where we'll, we'll, like, we're gonna drop, we're gonna take out this, part of the liturgy to save time, or we'll replace it with a hymn, or there's different liturgies where we say different things. Sometimes the pastor will say, the Lord be with you, and you'll say, and with thy spirit. Other times he'll say, and also with you, and you're like, which is it? What, what am I supposed to say? Well, it's in the hymnal, 
But if you don't know where to flip and if you're new, and we get a lot of visitors here, especially with the school and the preschool, we get a lot of like 20, late 20-somethings, 30-somethings with a baby. <clears throat> or like when their kids start to get maybe four or five, they start thinking, we should probably start going to church. And they come. And uh, if you don't know how to navigate the complexities of a hymnal, then it can be overwhelming, <clears throat> intimidating for you. So we wanted to make it as user-friendly from a, from a worshiping standpoint and, and like easy to pick up. So we took, we, we've taken the liturgy from the hymnal and just put it in the bulletin and we we're able to put in fun pictures. And, and that seems kind of silly at times, but uh, again, until I'm sitting in the pew with my family and I notice what my kids are looking at. So the pictures actually do teach, which is the historic reason why churches have stained glass windows. Because think Reformation era, for example, and even prior to that, especially in the, in the Middle Ages, people can't read. They can't read the Bible. But just like us in our Facebook, Instagram era, what, what, are, what, what impacts people more? A 40-page blog post or a simple meme with like a picture of somebody doing something silly and with a one, one, one quote on there? that sticks with you, it makes a point, right? So pictures do teach. So stained glass windows um, that like we have here, unfortunately, just because of the design of the sanctuary, the stained glass windows are behind you. So you don't get to, if you're curious about any of these, there's a handout in the uh, brochure and the little round thing in the, in the narthex you can grab and it'll kind of tell you what some of these are. Um, <clears throat> but the only ones you can see are the, if, if depending on where you're sitting, the sheep and the goats from the Matthew 25 final judgment uh, are above, above, the, uh, above the altar. And uh, the most interesting thing there is the sheep, what makes a sheep a sheep is simply that they're, they're looking to Jesus. And the goats are looking everybody else, everywhere else but Jesus. So the idea is on the last day, we recognize that we're saved not because of anything in ourselves, uh, but only because of who, who Jesus is for us. Um, for those of you with children, in the back of the, serve, in the, back of the um, bulletin, if you ever made it that far, usually like for me, it's like I get done with the closing hymn and I'm done with this thing, throw it in the recycle. Um, there's a, a thing called Kids in the Divine Service. Kind of, it takes all, many, many questions of like, why we have an intro it? What is an intro it? Why do we sing hymns? Like everything from that to why do pastors dress funny and all that kind of stuff. Um, written for children, but it's actually written for adults. That's why, just like, like children, some churches do children's messages, like the fact is, most of that's over the kids' heads anyway. Children's messages are always boiling down the sermon for everybody else who's not, not planning on listening to the sermon anyway, and they get the condensed version from the children's message, and then they can cash out for the next 20 minutes, right? Same idea here. Uh, so quick and to the point, uh, and then the prayers uh, everybody we're praying for in the church, and then the very back is the upcoming events. So different places to plug in. We try our very best to make sure these are always accurate. On very, a rare occasion, we'll have like a choir got canceled and we didn't get in there, but typically it's all, it's all there. Um, and to those who were, can, when we first started the bulletin, everybody was worried about money. Like, oh, you're wasting all this paper and paper costs money. And 
what we found is actually it's, it's not that expensive and we don't have to print that many because if you come to early church we just recycle the bulletins like put them in the bin on your way out or take them with we encourage you to take them with you if you if you want to use it during the week to look at the readings or something or the hymns otherwise just throw them on the box on the way out ushers organize them and we hand them back out to the to the late service so if you do go to early church and you're chewing gum and you stick your gum in the bulletin uh, just throw it in the garbage on your way out. Don't need to recycle those unless you want to share your gum with whoever's in the late service. Today I want to continue our conversation, the Ten Commandments, now that I've burned 15 minutes, squandered 15 minutes. Um, God's Word of Law and Gospel. We, last week we started talking about the Lord's gift of law, and, and I kind of introduced the idea of the, trying, to under, trying to look at the law as not just the opposite of good news. So if the gospel, the forgiveness of sins is the good news, then logically we think the law is bad news. And so don't do this, and it's the naughty, the, the God wagging his finger, telling you what not to do, trying to take away your fun. And the, the Ten Commandments actually set up the, the command, the, um, the, the scriptures give us the Ten Commandments as much more beautiful and joyful of a gift. And when you think, I have on your handout there, Exodus 20, the context, again, of, of God sending Moses into Israel to take them out of slavery. So they're in bondage. They're, they're, sub, they're treated like subhuman. If you remember your history there, like at the end of Genesis, Joseph is like second in command in Egypt. Everything's going great. There's tons of money, tons of, like everything they want is there. And so they move all of their family uh, from Israel down to Egypt, where there's food. And then time passes, another king comes who doesn't know Joseph and doesn't respect his family and notices that, hey man, these, these Israelites are procreating far too, like, too fast for us to keep up with and they're gonna overwhelm us and take us over. So we're, we should make them slaves and then also start killing off their babies uh, unless they outpopulate us. So they take Moses and they put him in the, so they're going to kill the babies and the, and the one lady hides Moses in the, in the little floaty basket or whatever, right? And that's the story of, of Moses rising to power in Egypt and then eventually being called by the burning bush in the wilderness to go into the promised land and free God's people. And there we have, uh, as you recall, we talked about the name where Moses says, who should I say sent me? And, and he says, I am. I am who I am. God's name is his being. God sends in Moses who gets people out of this bondage to slavery, this being treated like subhumans, um, no respect, terrible situation. And God comes, destroys the enemy, pulls them out of bondage to slavery and death and using the Passover to accomplish it, which we will be talking about Passover in Sunday Bible class tomorrow. But um, pulling Israel out and, and then gives them this gift of saying, look, I've set you free from this terrible, terrible bondage. And now I'm going to take you to the promised land, and it's going to be great. Uh, there are certain ways that you can actually rob yourself of joy. So don't lie, don't cheat, don't kill, don't steal. Um, love your parents, love your spouse, and let's, let's, it's going to be great. Let's get after it. It's going to be fun. I'm going to take care of you. And, uh, and once, a, once a week, maybe, why don't you come back? Because you're going to fail at this. 
So once a week, come back to me. I'm going to clean you up and send you back out again. So he calls them back to the temple, or for us, it would be church. He calls, them, calls his people to, to, to worship, forgives their sins, and sends them back out. So it has us seeing the Ten Commandments. I, I, the picture I used last week was the, the rules at the pool, preventing us from running on, at the slippery surface of the pool lest we fall and hit our heads. Same with all the, all the sin that the Ten Commandments are trying to spare us from, uh, is actually would hurt ourselves. So the devil comes and holds up the fruit and says, that's actually, this is better for you. Things would, if, if God really loved you, he would want you to have this, whatever this thing is, and tempts us, lures us into sin that ultimately destroys us, that hurts families, um, hurts ourselves, hurts our reputation, um, causes us to lose friendships and, and on and on. Or even if we have everything, it actually can cause us to lose joy though we are holding everything. Classic example would be like Robin Williams. Remember a, year, a few years ago, committed suicide. And you can look at it like on Google, you see the pictures of his estate. I mean, I remember after he died, I hopped on the Zillow because I was curious about the value of his home. He had like this $30 million estate. The guy had everything. And yet he had nothing worth living for. Uh, those who acquire great wealth also by, um, by fraud, are able to hold everything, and as the Proverbs say, um, it rots, it rots. The, the food, the food uh, gotten by dishonest practice rots in our mouths, I think is how the proverb goes. That like, when you actually work for what you have, you have satisfaction in it, even though it might be a small amount. But you can, if you get a lot of stuff, the lure of the devil is if you have a lot, then you'll be happy. So if I could just, if I get a lot of money or a lot of possessions or something by dishonest gain, then I'll still be happy because it's just a matter of getting a bunch of stuff. But what you find is there's no satisfaction even in that. Because it's not the possessions themselves that give you joy, but it's actually the work that's rewarding. So anyway, so the law is given to us as a gift, and that's to my second question. What is the purpose and use then of the law? So God has given us the law. It shows us this, this wonderful way of, of having joy and avoiding, avoiding self-inflicted harm in this life. But in our sin, we're unable to actually do it. Now, we certainly try, and, and we try for ourselves, and we try to raise our children to understand this, because we recognize that, okay, if you murder, you'll get thrown in jail. Um, or even if you murder and don't get thrown in jail, it, it's one of these things that even soldiers will tell you. Uh, those who have served in the military and have had to take lives, like, they, they, we're not meant to kill one another. Even executioners, soldiers who are like, who are, who are, justifiably taking a life and and it's god pleasing in that way still struggle in their conscience with taking another life edgar Allan poe um, famously in his um the telltale heart with like the heartbeat that haunted the guy um in his conscience because he had taken a life so the, these the the law is actually protecting us from from being destroyed by our own sin, even if we don't get caught by the cops, it still haunts us and robs us of joy. In our sin, uh, 
in our sinful flesh, we're never able to keep the law as we should. And so the primary purpose of the law, the primary purpose of the law, according to Romans, is to show us our sin. So that's why I got the nice picture of a broken bone there. It's an x-ray. So God holds up his Ten Commandments before us. He shows us his law of what is ideal and what, what is perfection. And we hold ourselves up next to it in comparison and we see our, our brokenness. We're able to point out the flaws by comparison. So the, the I mean, the, we talk about the three uses of the law often uh, as a curb. My marker works, we'll see. Ah, look at that. A curb. a mirror, and a guide. So the law curbs our sin. That is, you know, sometimes there might be evil or wicked things that I'd want to do, but I end up not doing them because um, I'm going to get caught, and I don't want to suffer the consequences of being caught. I don't, I mean, I I don't actually, I'm, I'm happy to do the sin, but I don't want to like, I don't want to overindulge. I don't want to, I, drugs are appealing maybe to some people, but it's like, man, I don't, I don't really want to uh, suffer the consequences of, of being addicted to heroin or something like that. So there's a natural consequence of sin, and even the government, like the police officers, that's the curb. That's the, if I go 70 miles an hour in a 20-mile-an-hour zone, I might get a ticket. So maybe I'll just go 30 and see if they catch me. But that's the, that's the curb, slowing me down. The mirror, and the curb, by the way, is functional for everybody, even non-believers, right? So what, what prevents people from just going around shooting everyone and stealing everyone's stuff is the threat of punishment. The mirror is, uh, well, func- the law functions just like any mirror does. When I look in the, I might think, Seth, you have a, a long and luscious hair um, covering your head. I can think all, all I want, but then I look in the mirror and I see reality, right? So what the, what the law does as a mirror is it shows us the reality of our sin. So um, that, that I do actually fall short in keeping the commandments, that I don't love my wife as I should, I don't love God as I should, I don't parent my kids as I should. So it shows me my great weakness, it shows me my brokenness, uh, so that, and this is why we talk about the second use as the main use of the law, the primary use, because when you see that your leg is broken, you go running to the doctor to have a cast put on. When, when you see that you've got a certain disease, you go running to get the solution. When you see that you have sin, you go running to Jesus. So the primary purpose of the law is to drive us to the gospel. The third use of the law is what I started with. It's that God is ultimately holding up for us joy in this world. So like if you want to have a happy marriage or strive to have a happy marriage in a sinful world, don't commit adultery. So the, the sixth commandment protects you from that. Love your neighbor, love your wife more than yourself as Christ loves the church. Uh, you, wanna, you should honor your parents. Don't take people's stuff. I, love my, I wanna love my neighbor. Does that mean I should punch him in the face? No, you shouldn't punch your neighbor in the face. That's how the law functions as a guide. It shows me how to love my neighbor in a practical way. What is not the purpose of the law is for us to save ourselves, for us to actually 
climb our way out of, out of hell or out of misery because our corruption is too great. So the, God has given us the law as a way to, to protect ourselves from self-inflicted harm, but we never actually achieve it. It can't be done. Uh, but we can strive throughout our lives to avoid certain things because the consequences are too great or the misery is too great. And yet at the end of the day, as Jesus uses the law, and my next question, how does Jesus use the law in Matthew 19, for example, is when the rich young guy comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the law, keep it. So when you ask Jesus, what, I ha- what do I have to do? Jesus will give you something to do. Keep the law perfectly. And the, and, the, and the poor guy says, oh, I've done this. I've done it my whole life. Ever since I was a kid, I always kept the law. And Jesus says, this poor guy, he thinks he's actually kept the law. And if you think you've kept the law, then you don't need the mercy of God. So Jesus needed to break him down. Now, I mean, he's already broken. Jesus needed this guy to see that he was broken so that he could go running to Jesus for forgiveness. So Jesus tells him, oh yeah, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And with that, the guy saw how he had made possessions and money his idol. And that he's more interested in having lots of things than than being uh, fear-loving and trusting in God alone. So Jesus went straight to the first commandment and, and convicted him of that. And that's how all the commandments work for us. Even if, I'm keep, even if I haven't actually taken a life, uh, I can, I, if I've hated my neighbor in my heart or had anger against my neighbor in my heart, then I've broken the fifth commandment. Uh, lust isn't just with the body, but with the eye, right? Coveting the ninth and tenth commandment, I think that's what I'll be preaching on next Sunday. Um, the coveting's an excellent one because when you think about the list of the, the, big, the big sins you can commit, it's okay, don't kill anybody. That'd be a bad one. Don't, don't, if you're going to steal, make sure it's something very small and unnoticeable. But don't, you know, you can't squander thousands of millions of dollars, and that's really bad. So don't steal lots of stuff. Um, th- these are, those are big, grievous. Don't, don't commit adultery. But there's a certain other lust maybe you can try to get away with. But it, so there's, in, the, in the middle of the commandments, there's some big, obvious things you're trying to avoid. But then coveting? How's that, how's that on the list? That seems so minor by comparison. And yet, it's in this way, this is why the commandments are so helpful. The coveting is the perfect example of, of sin that is in our hearts. Because you don't covet, it might be overspeed. Yeah, I don't think I'm overstating this. You don't covet with your body. You can steal with your body, but you covet with the heart. Coveting is desiring what someone else has that lead, in such a way that it, you, it leads you to despise what you have. And you lose joy. You lose joy in your marriage when you desire that which another has. So that I have what God has given me in my marriage. I have what God has given me of my family, my children, or the lack thereof. Uh, the job that I have, the community that I'm in, all, all these things that God has, where God has placed me and how God is working through me and the gifts that he's given me, I'm given joy in those things. And, but when I'm looking in other places and desiring those things, to the detriment of what I've got, then I'm losing joy in life. And, um, and that's where coveting convicts us of how I'm never, I'm never happy in our sinful flesh. I'm, we're never happy with what we have. As soon as you get your new car and you drive it off the lot, 
you of course pull up to the red light and the guy pulls up next to you with a car that you like more. And you're like, oh, maybe I should trade this in while there's still low miles on it and get that car. You're just never satisfied. The classic example is a 13-year-old boy growing up in the 90s having to go from the original Nintendo to Super Nintendo to Nintendo 64 to PlayStation to PlayStation 2 to Xbox. You never, you never get enough. And the kid next door always gets a better video game and they get, uh, you get better quality video games and all the excess and you're always wanting more and more and more. It helps drive Christmas and it drives the economy, but it doesn't ever give you joy. You're never satisfied. You're never going to get enough. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, uh, this is an infection that we have. And you need to be aware of how bad your infection is so that you know how much you need the solution to your infection, Jesus. There's a hymn there I put on there. Uh, if you'll flip in your hymnal, if there's a hymnal in front of you. 579, while you're flipping there, a few words about the way the hymnal is designed. If, uh, if this hymnal is new to you, there's a whole his a really interesting history on the hymnals themselves, but um, this hymnal is set up in such a way that the front inside cover has got some really quick prayers for worship. The first half, the introductory pages are the Psalms. Not all the Psalms are there, but the Psalms that are most often used in worship. Like when we, we have the intro, the thing we chant at the very beginning of church while the pastor's moving from the font into the chancel. Intro is Latin for entrance, so we're entering. It's just, it's music to play and while we're moving in, but we, we can review some of the Psalms. That's what introits are. And then all the liturgies, the, the divine services, the settings of the divine services, and then some other prayer services throughout the day, like morning, evening prayer, and, and so forth. In the very middle of the hymnal is the catechism, and then, uh, and also some prayers. And I encourage you, like if you get here early to church or something, or if you're sticking around late, or, or if you find yourself super bored in my sermons or something, if you flip to page like 305, I think it is, yeah. There's tons of prayers in here for specific things. So, and I, I've done this myself, just when you're sitting here reflecting on things, there's actually lots of stuff that I should pray for that I just haven't thought about. Or maybe there's particular things that I want to pray for and I just can't find the words. And so everything in here from like praying for divine guidance, praying for proper use of wealth or for joy in my vocation, for guidance in my calling, for, uh, for times of temptation, for purity, for humility, for the nation. I know that why would we pray for our nation? It's doing so well. <laughs> You, never, you can't pray enough for these things. Praying for your children, your parents, and on and on. So lots of different, different prayers in there uh, that, are, that are designed to help you in your prayer life. And then all the hymns. So if you'll notice on page 70, 579 of the, of the hymnal, a couple quick things. Um, if you love to sing, I love to sing. I am a tenor, uh, which if you know music, that's like the bottom bar, the top note of the bottom bar if that means anything to you, you'll notice that four-part harmonies are never in the bulletin. So if you love to sing and you're frustrated that the four-part harmonies aren't printed in the bulletin, it's because we don't have the rights to it. The software that we've bought, that we've purchased, that goes along with our hymnal, from which we can copy and paste the services into our bulletin, it doesn't copy and paste the four-part harmonies. Uh, and, and you know why they do that? 
So you have to still buy the hymnal. <laughs> so, uh, so if you ever wonder why the guy next to you at church is holding the book, when you got the bulletin, he's got a bulletin too. Why does he need the hymnal? Because he wants to sing four-part harmonies. Or if you're curious about like, what, this seems like an old hymn. When is this written? So you s scroll down to the bottom there. So the text of the hymn, the guy who wrote the text was living in the late 19th century, approximately. Uh, the, the tune itself goes back to Reformation era in the 1500s. So that's interesting. So if you're ever wondering, so the music will have like this older, timeless sound to it. And the text is always helpful, especially like when you see hymns that are written like in the early 1600s, the early 17th century, where the Thirty Years' War is happening, plagues are all over the place, Christians are killing each other in Europe because you got this tension between the, the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Calvinists are all killing each other in Europe. It's a terrible time to live. Death is everywhere. And you, you have these remarkable hymns about joy in the face of suffering written in the early 1600s. We think it's bad when, you know, you, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, like you get a hole in your socks or you get a cold, <laughs> you know, you get a scratch on your car. It's so terrible when you get a scratch on the, on the thing. Like, like we, we, live, we, we live such a wonderful, you know, hashtag first world problem life that we enjoy. And uh, we don't even know suffering. I mean, to be sure, we do know suffering, and, and it pops in, in plenty of times. But it's not as clear and present as it was for the Christians living in the early 1600s. And yet, they're able to have this remarkable joy in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution. And we can learn from that in our Christian lives. So hymns do that. The, if you, depending on your worship background, uh, the Lutheran hymnody, the goal of hymnody is also tied to the goal of worship. So it's not, we're not trying to manipulate emotions. Some music can be done, can, can use, you can use music to manipulate emotions, uh, to try to generate some mystical experience. But the hymns, what the hymns are trying to accomplish is to teach the faith in a clear way so that you can actually learn it. And even if you don't like to sing, so if you don't like to sing, the hope is that the text of the hymns actually teach the doctrine. The doctrine is a big word for teaching. So if you're, and the hymns are often chosen to match the theme of the particular Sunday readings, but it's really remarkable how the, and these are, these hymns have been carefully chosen. And in the, in the back room, the conference room, me and the pastors and Cantor, we're, we're like trading baseball cards over like which hymns we, we want to have this Sunday and which stanzas of the hymns are going to get cut for time. And, oh, I want that hymn. And Pastor Schumacher will be like, no, I really, I, we got to have stanza two. It's my favorite one. I'm like, okay, fine, but I want stanza four. And Barnes is like, you don't need stanza four. And so we're like giving it back and forth. And finally, we end up with a bulletin that you have on Sunday, uh, trying to keep the services to an hour and still getting the hymns confessing the doctrine. You can't, some, you can't cut stanzas that end with like, like this is a, a great example about God's law in 579. Uh, I'll just read it. It's, I think it's a great example of Lutheran hymnody and, and why the text is so important, but it's also gonna unfold the law for us. Okay, here we go. The law of God is good and wise and sets God's will before our eyes, shows us the way of righteousness and dooms to death when we transgress which we always do, transgress. Its, its light of holiness imparts the knowledge of our sinful hearts, 
that we may see our lost estate and turn from sin before too late. The x-ray that has us seeing our sin and turning from, God, turning from our sin. To those who help in Christ have found and would in works of love abound, it shows what deeds are his delight and should be done as good and right. That's the guide that I, I love Jesus. I want to love my neighbor, so show me how to do it. But those who scornfully disdain God's law shall then in sin remain. Its terror in their ear resounds and keeps their wickedness in bounds. That's the curb. How the law, the, the terror of the law is still ringing in my heart and helps, it controls the wickedness of my sinful flesh even if I don't believe in God. I'm not gonna try to rob a, a bank because I don't wanna go to jail. So it keeps my wickedness in bounds. Uh, stanza five, the law is good but since the fall, its holiness actually condemns us all. It dooms us for our sin to die and has no power to justify. Now at this point, the hymn has given a clear confession of what the law does and what, what, what its goal is to accomplish. Um, but when we're selecting stanzas, we can't, end this, we can't like cut the hymn off here because we've got like, like right on the edge of, of uh, the gospel. And then we go to stanza six, so then, having been condemned by the law, to Jesus we for refuge flee. Who from the curse has set us free and humbly worship at his throne, saved by his grace through faith alone. So we're saved not by the law, not by our, our sincere desire to keep the law. We're not saved by, we're so afraid of hell and, 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 and that kind of a nonsense, but rather we're saved because we, we flee to Jesus alone for our forgiveness. So this, this hymn is a good example of what the hymns are trying to accomplish. Um, maybe another day we'll talk about how the, how the hymns are also themed. So even look, look at, the, look at the, the hymn to the right. So 579 is about the law, 580, what does the gospel do? So 579 is what the law does, 580, the, hymn, the whole hymn about what the gospel is. So there, those, these hymns are meant to be mirror images of one another, even in the design of the hymnal itself. All right, uh, I'm gonna finish at least the first, first page of this handout today. Um, By the way, the next hymn was also the same author. Yeah, exactly, so the same author wrote the same text. On one side, gospel and the other. Good. Yeah, Harvey's a longtime organist uh, up here, so if you have any music questions, he's your guy. Next question, big, big bold letters in your handout. How deep does our sin go? Do we sin because we're sinners? Or are we sinners because we sin? And uh, I think very often, unfortunately, we, we think about our sin as the stuff, our big problem is the, that I do sinful things. If I could just stop doing sinful stuff, then I'd be okay. If I could just teach my kids to not do sinful actions, then they'd be okay. So uh, I'll crush my kids with the law, I'll prevent them from having any interactions with other humans. I'll prevent them from, I mean, you can even use the, use the example of if, if you take a person and put him in a cave in the middle of nowhere and cover his eyes so he can't see anything and tie his arms together so he can't do anything with his arms. We don't let any other humans come into the room uh, so he can't sin against them or say anything to them he's still a sinner. And he'll still ultimately face the consequences of sin, which is 
death, right? So we want to be clear that our, we, we sin, we, we commit sins because we are sinful. But we're not described as sinful because we do sins. You see the difference? So um, like an apple tree can be an apple tree even when it's very small and not producing any fruit. It's still an apple tree. It doesn't become an apple tree when it starts producing fruit, right? So what we are is to the core sinners. We're born sinners. And we know this is, is the case because even though the babies don't seem to commit sins, babies suffer the consequences that only sinners suffer. And that is at times, sadly, death, right? So we know that death impacts children. And frankly, I mean, is there a, is there a more clear example of narcissism and selfishness than your nine-month-old baby? <laughs> no, so think about baby, the whole baby the concept of a baby is to be, I'm focused on myself. Me, 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 I, 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 mine. So the first words the kids learn are mind and know, I want. And so we, so we don't have to teach kids that. It just comes naturally. We're always trying to teach them to be good, to share. You need to share, learn to share, be nice. Don't say these naughty words, say these nice words, right? All the evil comes naturally. That's because we are corrupt trees. And you're not going to make a tree better. You can try this. In fact, I challenge you to try this. Find a, go outside and find like a dead tree, uh, like a, an apple tree. Next, if you go to an apple orchard this fall, find a dead apple tree. It's got nothing on it. And take an apple off the ground off a, from below a different tree and get some duct tape and duct tape the apple on the dead tree and then step back and look at it. Have you saved the tree? Of course not. And the whole thing's a joke, right? This is, if we think about our Christian life as trying to clean up ourselves with good works, as though the church is, the church is you come to church so that the pastor can, tells you how, can tell you how to put good fruit on your dead tree. That's not the goal. That's why we're not interested in trying to equip you to keep the law better. The purpose of the Lord's church and what the Lord is doing in his work of law and gospel is he's taking this dead tree and he's chopping it down and he's planting a new tree and growing it. And that happens daily for us. So we talk about the life of the, life of the Christian is a, is a daily drowning of the old Adam, the old sinful flesh is daily killed. The Christian morning starts off with murder. We kill, we kill the old sinful self, and, the, and Jesus brings to life a new man. And we live before God in righteousness and holiness. And then we fail, and he chops it down and grows a new tree. That's, that's this regular rhythm of the Christian life. But we have to be clear that we're not going to clean up our lives by the works that we do. It has to be done to us. So when we flip the page here, Mark 7 what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, 
pride, slander, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus talking to the Pharisees, they're all mad because the, the, the guys aren't washing their hands appropriately, and, and Jesus is making the point that sin, isn't, sin ultimately doesn't start with what we do on the outside. Sin starts on the inside and comes out. So he needs to fix the inside. If you really want to fix the problem, you got to get to the heart. This actually stands behind my, uh, my modus operandi, my, my, my primary, um, my MO for serving as a pastor and how I approach most issues in the church. This is just me, this is my personality. Um, you're stuck with it if you choose to join here. Luther, Luther has this great thing that, Is this God? You can't see me over there in the front row. <laughs> is this God? Is it? This is God. So you come here to worship this stick with a plastic Jesus on it? Is this God? Might there be some people who think that we think this is God? That we worship this idol with our eyes? So if there are people who, who might think that we worship this with our eyes, that we think this is actually our God, um, maybe what we'll do, maybe, maybe I'll pick on, I'll pick on uh, Harvey since he's in the front row. If, if Harvey actually comes to Bethany and he worships that stick with a plastic figure on it, and Harvey... You know what, this is, a, this is a problem for Harvey because his God is this little thing on a stick that stands behind the pulpit. That's obviously not our God, right? But he, if he thinks that, maybe what we'll do is we'll take the stick away and we'll just get the crucifix out of the church and we'll put it back in the sacristy. Have we solved the real problem for Harvey? We've, we've removed the idol from the eye, but we've left it in the heart. So the task in the Lord's church is to preach the idol out of the heart in such a way that the idol that is in front of the eye ceases to matter anymore. So going back to the Reformation, when there were, there were like confused teachings regarding, let's say, baptism or crucifixes or tilt notes, okay. Uh, stained glass windows, it's all this like confused teaching and people were, people were like having misunderstandings about baptism. So what they did was some, some guys were ripping the baptismal fonts out of the church, ripping the crucifixes out of the church, breaking stained glass windows. And Luther's like, no, if you've removed the idol from the eye and left it in the heart, you've done no good. You got to get at the heart. And so we sing in Psalm 51, 5, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So there you have what God is doing at church is not duct taping fruit to a tree, but he's, he's giving open heart surgery. He's creating in us, he's giving us new hearts. That's what we're after. Because from the heart come evil and good. And the only way you get at the heart is through the, the word of law and gospel. So there's the, there's the, the work of law and gospel and, and God getting at our heart. So with our, with our 10 minutes uh, left, I, wanna, I want us to at least, so we can say we did it, look at, the, look at our 10 commandments, which you can find in your, either in your Bible um, or if you've got your catechism with you, um, which I've, 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 since I so rarely use it, I don't blame you for not bringing it, but the, the catechism is in the middle of the, 
hymnal, like 320 something. It's also in the, where is that? Where is it? 321, if you want to look at it, we'll do that. We'll, we'll stay together in the hymnal. If you want to look in your hymnal, page 321 is the catechism. So the commandments start with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? A God is anything that you fear, love, and trust most. So whatever causes you to fear has become your God. Whatever you, whatever you love and you're, able, you're willing to do anything for, that is your God. And whatever you put your trust in has become your God. And you could stop with that. Ultimately, the first commandment is the root and cause of all of our sin. Every other commandment actually falls behind the first commandment like dominoes. If my God is my pride, then I'm willing, so that's the first commandment. I, I fear my pride being hurt. I love myself. I trust in myself. I am my God. My pride is my God. Then my, all the commandments follow in place to serve that God. I'm willing to murder you with my mouth, with my heart, with my body, if, if I'm given the opportunity, perhaps. But if you've hurt my pride, I'll say evil things about you, Eighth Commandment, if you've hurt my pride. Um, I'm willing to steal if I feel like I can increase my pride by having better possessions or something. See? So whatever has become my God ultimately controls me, and all the commandments now line up to serve that God. If money is my God, I'm willing to kill for it, steal for it. The commandments all then start to wrap together. Like, and this is always beautifully displayed for us in, the, uh, in like TV shows, all these like dramas. There are, everything's about murder. Right? You can't watch a TV show, it's not like a murder. And they're always investigating who, who, who murdered this guy. And the more they look into it, there's always like, an, there's always adultery. There was theft, there was lying, and it, there was coveting, which led to the theft. Then the murder came in. It's like all these things are always wrapped together. It's not by accident. They kind of do. They flow together. They, they, they swirl around one another because they're all in line behind serving a particular God. So the, the, what the Christian is doing is what is the God that I'm worshiping? If you are, if you are a great way to go to sleep, if, you, if you're struggling with anxiety, or if you're afraid of something, if you find yourself at night worrying about something, push on that. Why am I worrying? What am I worrying about? Well, I'm worried that I'm gonna make a bad decision in this particular, why are you worried about making a bad decision? Because ultimately I don't think God's gonna take care of me. God's gonna take care of me. So I'm gonna make the best decision that I can, it's gonna be okay. Uh, I'm just worried about what's happening in Russia. Why? Because I love my life more than, I don't trust the words of Jesus that even if I die, he's gonna, he's gonna be with me and take me into heaven. I don't actually believe that as I should. So Lord, help my unbelief and, and, and cause me to not fear in such a way. Let me not be anxious about losing my retirement account, right? because I'm, I'm afraid that the, the economy is going to crash again and I'm not going to have enough money. And no, the Lord's going to take care of you. Stop worrying. So that it always will push on our anxiety to reveal the God, okay? Now, the rest of the commandments, so, so 
to not misuse the Lord's name, fear and love God, so we don't curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and good, give thanks. Every commandment has two sides. Don't do this, but do this. And the reason why that's helpful is you can't keep the commandments by locking yourself in a cave. Because if I'm stuck in a cave by myself, I can't love my neighbor. You can't keep the second commandment by never using God's name at all. You have to use his name rightly. His name is meant to be called upon, prayed to, given thanks to. There's a right way to keep the commandment. So we, we, we keep the commandment by not transgressing against it, but doing the thing that it wants us to do in a positive way. Third commandment, not despising preaching in his word, but calling on, or a, but a glass, holding it sacred and gladly hearing and learning it. My favorite word in the third commandment is gladly, because anybody can hear God's word, but it's where the gladly comes in. Gladly is a moving target. Because you can say, well, I'm, I'm pretty glad about hearing God's word. Yeah, but are you glad enough? What's the standard? It's always moving. It's always going to get further out ahead of you, right? And that's the point. The commandment's always driving us back, showing us our weakness. Fourth commandment, uh, regarding our parents, fear and love God, not despising or hating our parents, but obeying them. That's all authorities that God has set up on honoring, serving, obey. And to be parents, the, the converse of that is to actually be the parents that are honorable, to love our children as gifts. Fifth commandment, not murder, hurting or harming our neighbor, but helping and supporting him. So the, the commandments are not satisfied when you buy the homeless guy a hamburger. It's a good thing to buy the homeless guy a hamburger if you, if you, if you see it fit to do so. But there's always another homeless guy, right? So the law commands you to give of your stuff. If, you, if you're wearing a coat and that guy's cold, give him your coat. If you've got an extra hundred bucks and that guy needs it, give it to that guy. There will always be another guy and you will be eventually the guy on the street needing more money because you've given everything away. So the, the, the point of the law is not to just give everything away and be the guy in the homeless in the street, then waiting for that guy to give it all back to you and then you give it all back to him. Why would, it's insane. The point is to show us our selfishness and ultimately have our eyes on our neighbor and help them as we, as we can, knowing that we can't satisfy it because there's always another, there's always somebody else. God has put certain people in front of you to serve, to love, to not hurt, but to help. And that's, we, that's who you help as you can. Uh, sixth commandment regarding adultery, this is the unique one that, that where, I, where I said the commandments say, don't do this, but do this. The sixth commandment says, it doesn't say don't do this because any 14 or a 16-year-old dating couple will come to me and say, Pastor, what's the line? <laughs> How far can I go before I've committed adultery, right? What, what exactly constitutes sex, Pastor? And so the sixth commandment says, we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life. So it doesn't say don't, it doesn't give a line. The flesh wants a line. The commandment's saying, no, no, uh, you've crossed the line even by entertaining that question. So the line is to lead a sexually pure and decent life in all that we say and do, and that husband and wife love and honor each other. Don't steal your neighbor's stuff, but help them to improve and protect it. Don't hurt the neighbor's reputation, but speak well of him. 
So not only, not only don't say evil things, but give an opportunity to defend the neighbor's reputation. To, to, when, others are, when others are talking evil of someone, swoop in and don't become part of the demon swirl, but speak kindly or turn away and just leave when evil is being spoken of others. That's a hard thing to do. We love gossip. When you're checking out the grocery store, all those magazines telling you how everybody in Hollywood's falling apart. It is interesting to see the fall of the great. <laughs> but we're called, to, we're called to put the best construction. And the ninth and 10th regarding, regarding not coveting our neighbors, our, their life, their stuff, and the thing, or their possessions. So that's kind of the big difference between the ninth and 10th, the, the life that my neighbor has and then all the stuff that my neighbor has. If we want, if we're desiring that which they have, then we lose joy uh, in our own life. So that's the commandments and a quick, a quick uh, run through there. Obviously there's tons of implications regarding like fifth commandment, abortion, seventh commandment, it touches up against socialism. Um, the sixth commandment regarding sexuality, regarding um, what is actually marriage and, and how the Lord has created genders and so forth. These are certainly hot button social issues. We're pretty outspoken about all those things at Bethany. Um, really in the Lord's church, as, as the Lord's church should be, we, um, we invite all sinners to Bethany. So we exclude no one. You can only come here if you have sin. So if you have sin, you're welcome here. But we're gonna be clear about what sin is. We're not gonna say you come here for us to tell you that what you're doing is fine. So we've got sins of every, sinners of every stripe here struggling with particular sins. And um, so would they come here before Jesus, confessing their sins to Jesus and being forgiven by him? But we have to be clear about what our sin is so we can be clear about who our savior is. So um, those, are, those are certainly uh, th- those three hot button issues right now regarding gender and sexuality, um, abortion and, and socialism. So socialism hit, touches up against the seventh commandment because socialism says there are no possessions, that, there are no pri- personal possessions. Everything belongs to the collective. Problem is, if there are no possessions, then, there, then there's no stealing. That's actually the argument of the socialists, that we can eliminate stealing if we eliminate personal property. Problem is, God is the one who gives, we, we acknowledge that God is the one who's given us all that we have. He's given some more than others according to his wisdom. But my job is to help him to improve it and protect it, not desire it or take it from him. If I try to take his stuff, then that's stealing, right? And that's, so we, we have to maintain personal possessions. And ultimately, if, I, if, if someone says, hey, you know what, there's no, there's no personal possessions, everything belongs to the collective, and I say, no, I disagree with that. I'm not gonna give you all this stuff. And they come to me finally with a gun and handcuffs to put me in prison to take my stuff. What do you call when you take people's money with a gun? <laughs> See? So that's why those, and, those, and that's being taught openly in our uh, schools, unfortunately, that kids are being taught to, to think that's okay. Um, so I hit the Ten Commandments there. So now that we've identified the sin problem, we're, we're at time, but I just want to give you a taste of what's coming next week. Now that we've identified the sin problem, now what? What does Jesus do with your sin? And that gets into, right as we started this, now that we're five weeks in, we're still at the very beginning of the divine service. We've began in the Lord's name that he put on us in holy baptism. We've walked down the aisle here. We, we confessed our sins and we do confession from the font because this is where it all started. 
God put his name on us, and now I live this daily life of repenting, giving my sin to God. So we come up here to sin. We come up, you, Matt, you can picture it. This is a really vivid image. I'll leave you with this gross image. We come to church sick with our sin, and we vomit over the rail. <laughs> all of our, we give it all to him. And then, uh, then you go about your day, and we mop up when you're done. That's why we called Pastor Bartons to clean up all that nasty stuff. <laughs> so, so God, we, Jesus wants to take, we want what Jesus wants. We want to take your sins away because your sin is no good for you. So we take your sins away, we give it to him, and there's confession absolution. Jesus, Jesus says, you're a sinner. And you say, yes, I'm a sinner. He says, I forgive you. He says, uh, in his gospel, Jesus says, I've already forgiven you. Here is more forgiveness. You're forgiven. You're free. We say amen. He says, let's go. Have fun. Get after it. Enjoy life. Then we sin and we come back and we give it to Jesus. The only way your sin can hurt you is if you take it back. If you insist on holding on to it, right? But he wants to take it from us. So that's, that's confession and absolution. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week and also get into the, the creeds. We're at time, so feel free to go. Are there any lingering questions that I, I sorry I don't give you enough opportunity for that. You gotta jump in and talk. I'm not gonna, I never stopped. You gotta jump in, hold up the orange card that no one uses. <laughs> if you do have a question about something, pop it on the card and, um, and I can address it next week. So again, hopefully see you tomorrow in church. Um, in Bible study, we're talking, Lord's Supper specifically is going to come up in church tomorrow. A little bit of Passover, and it's when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper in the context of the Last Supper is, is Sunday morning Bible study. And um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. We'll see you hopefully tomorrow or see you next Saturday. Stick around if you got questions. <laughs>